Praise the Lord. Let's go before the Lord with the word of prayer. Father, we acknowledge that we're gathered here before you, Lord, under your mighty hand and humbly come before you, Father. And I just ask you to continue to be with us here at this meeting. And I just ask you to bless your word that we're about to receive, that you'll speak to our hearts, Lord, and do a work in us by your Holy Spirit. Bring us closer to maturity through the things we study, Lord, that we can know you better and walk with you more faithfully in these days ahead. And we thank you for doing that in Jesus' name. If you have a Bible and you would turn to James chapter 3, we'll begin reading in verse 1. So James 3, verse 1, James writes, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. He says, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. And even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, and so is the tongue among our members, that it defiles the whole body, and sets on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and has been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison." And therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? And can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. If you ask what James is writing about in chapter 3, that's an easy one to answer, isn't it? I mean, even the little kids could get that. He's writing about the tongue. And I heard this description of the tongue, which I thought was pretty good. It's this. To the physician, it's merely a two-ounce slab. And I'll add, the average tongue is three inches long, in case you wanted to know. But to the physician, it's merely a two-ounce slab of mucous membrane enclosing an impressive array of muscle and nerves that enable our bodies to chew, taste, and swallow, but it's also the major organ of communication that enables us to articulate distinct sounds so we can understand each other with our tongues. And he went on to say, the person went on to say, no mother could comfort her baby without her tongue or sing her baby to sleep tonight. No ambassador could represent our nation. No teacher could stretch the mind of students and no pastor could comfort a troubled soul. The person said, because without the tongue, our entire world would be reduced to shrugs and grunts. That's how critical the tongue is. So we looked last week at how James explained to us that living faith could be distinguished from dead faith. How? By our works. What we do, our outward deeds. Look back in chapter 2, verse 17. He says right there, he says, even so, faith, if it has not works, doesn't have works to accompany it, it is what? It says it's dead being alone. As the saying goes, the popular saying goes, we're saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. We're saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. It always produces works that demonstrate its reality. That's what we looked at last week. If a true living faith is on the inside, it's going to overflow into our deeds that are done outwardly. James is moving on to say the same thing about our tongue, our speech. If we have true religion, he talked about, or faith, it's going to be seen by what we say, or even more importantly, a lot of times, what we don't say. And look back in chapter 1, verse 26. He says, if any man among you seem to be religious or thinks he's religious and bridles not his tongue, he deceives his own heart, and it says that man's religion is what? Vain, and it's saying vain, that means it's worthless. He's saying if you claim to be a Christian and you don't check your tongue, he says you're deceiving yourself by what you think. What you think is not the way it is, and your religion is worthless. 
that's how critical it is. That's what he's going to open up here in chapter 3. James and the Lord Jesus Christ, they both agree on one thing, that we can judge the conditions of our heart based on what comes out of our mouth. We read this, but look down in chapter 12 of James 3, the last verse we read. And it says there, Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. A fig tree is going to bear what? Figs. And grapes are going to come out of what? The vine. It doesn't work the other way around. I mean, that's just the way things are. And Jesus said the same thing. James is trying to say there that what is the root? That's what's going to come out of your mouth. And Jesus said the same thing. He said in Matthew 12, O generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When he says the abundance of the heart, the abundance is what fills up your heart. And what fills it up and begins to overflow, that's going to come out of your mouth. It has to come out. Sometimes we can mask what's in our heart. People do it all the time. But you get around somebody long enough and it's going to come out. What you're putting into your heart, out of the abundance of your heart, what you're putting in there, it will eventually come out. Pilgrim's Progress, you read, when they're walking along the road and they get it up to talkative. Well, talkative, he knows how to talk religious. And he's got them fooled for a little bit, but the longer they walk down that road with them, pretty soon they discern, man, this guy's just all talk. There's some things he's saying that aren't right and things he's doing that aren't right, and that's the way it has. Jesus went on to say that the good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, he will bring forth good things, and an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. We just have to ask ourselves, what kind of treasure are we storing in our hearts? And the way we can do that is just look at how we've spoken to others, to others or about others in, let's just say, the last week. And that's how we can tell. What are we filling our hearts with? Because it'll come out. The power of speech is one of the greatest gifts that God has given to man. Now, sin has perverted it in unbelievers, hasn't it? I mean, we got Romans 3 tells us that. As Christians, though, what James is telling us is we have to be on constant guard to use our tongues to what? Glorify God and edify others. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Because of that great responsibility of influencing others, that's why we have this admonition in verse 1. He says, My brethren, be not many masters or teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation, because who uses speech more? I mean, I stand up here, talk twice a week for an hour or whatever. I mean, that's quite a bit of talking to people that you all have to, some of you don't, but most of you do stand and have to sit there and listen. And so I'm having a, a lot of influence one way or another. I mean, that is a great responsibility and a burden. It is for me anyways to stand up and say, okay, I've got this message from God for you people. <laughs> I mean, we're talking eternal consequences, aren't we? It's not only a burden of just rightly dividing the word of truth, because people that stand in a pulpit, it happens everywhere all the time. You pray that it doesn't happen here and preach things that lead people astray. All you have to do is read 2 Peter 2 and Jude that talks about people that get in pulpits for all kinds of motives, whether it's money, sex, whatever. I mean, that's what happens. And they're teaching doctrines that lead people astray. I mean, it is bad news. So I'm saying that's a grave responsibility for me. It really is. You know, they have you, if you go to court, now we would affirm, I hope, in this church, but, you know, they, they have people put their hand on the Bible. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God. You don't swear on a Bible. I didn't swear on a Bible to do this. But isn't that what I'm saying? To say I'm going to teach people as the pastor of a church? I'm going to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth is, is the best of your ability? That's the way it is. That's every minister's responsibility. And there's not only that, but there's also the burden, I think is, is what's implied in here, is you better be living what you're preaching. You're saying one thing and you're doing something else, or you're telling people, you're laying this burden on people, you're not willing to pick it up for yourself. That's a problem, and that's why he says here that knowing that we, and James puts himself in there, that we shall receive the greater, the stricter judgment. Because of that, he's like, don't be quick, don't be anxious. He's not discouraging somebody that has a true call in their life, but he's saying, hey, if you're just somebody that likes to talk and be up in front of people, don't be anxious to do that, because... 
I'll tell you another thing is on this, I agree with uh, some of these commentators, I do agree with it, that I think teachers, he's not just talking about someone that has the office of a teacher or a pastor, but I think he's really talking about anybody in the church who would instruct others. I think the warning applies just as much privately or publicly instruct others. So in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, when you read that, it encourages everyone to come and share. We want that, don't we? We want people to share what God has given them to share. Because it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, when you come together, every one of you, so he's not leaving anyone out, has a psalm, has a doctrine, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. When we come and do that, in that sense, when we speak publicly here or privately, either one, I mean, in a sense, we are teaching people, aren't we? I think it applies just as well. What I would say then is what we need to do, though, when we do that, I would encourage everyone to do that, though, is to examine your motives. Examine the truth of what you're saying and whether your purpose is to edify the body with love. And I would say... I've got to have this navel-gazing where, man, I can't say a word I'm afraid to because I don't want to come under stricter judgment. That's not the point. The point is just don't be flippantly talking. And I would say, if that's your purpose, I'd encourage anybody to share. Please share. We had that happen last Sunday, and I thought it was very edifying in a lot of different ways for our group here. Hebrews 5.12, he tells us here, he says, for when the time you ought to be teachers. I mean, that's written to the church. When you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you. So like I said, the New Testament, we could go on, it encourages believers to share, to instruct, to teach others. What he's trying to discourage, I believe here with James, is just somebody that's just talkative or has strong opinions that aren't based on the word or people that are just trying to, I've seen this happen many times and I I mean, I pray I don't do it myself. Well, you're just using a pulpit to correct other people in the wrong way. I mean, that kind of stuff happens or Somebody's just got this strong personality. I think he's trying to dissuade that when he says, don't be many teachers. Kind of put things in check a little bit. It's like what it says in Ecclesiastes 5, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. I mean, that's what we saw back in chapter 1. He says, for they consider not that they do evil. And he says, be not rash with thy mouth and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and you are upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. Selah. Amen. He goes on to tell us here in verse 2 that it, look what it says. He says, for in many things we offend all. Now what he's saying is there are many ways, a wide variety of ways we sin. And even with the tongue. So he's talking about the tongue in this chapter. There are many ways, isn't there, that we can sin with the tongue. You can say that hasty word in anger. You can tell that half truth or just a full-fledged lie. An off-color joke. Gossip, hurtful gossip, backbiting, slander, and on and on and on. There's many ways we can sin with our tongue, he's saying here. Are we all guilty? Can we just get that over with? We're all guilty, right? Because James says he's guilty. He won't say we're going to talk about we're more righteous than him, because look what he says there. He says, verse 2, for in many things we offend all. The point I want to make here, though, I think what James goes on to say here in verse 2, he's not saying this to chasten us for all our sins of speech, but he's wanting to give us the positive point that if we can control our tongues, we will have the master control, the master switch. It's like they have a master switch back there in that sound booth, you know. You move one and it's all affected by it. And he's saying if you can control your tongue, we offend in many things, but just get your tongue under control, he's saying. You have got the master switch, the master key to live in a victorious Christian life. That's what he's saying. Look what it says there in verse 2. See, he said, many things we offend all, but if any man offend not in word, the same as a mature or perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. So James just wants us to be mature. So that's what he's saying there. You know what he says is the sure sign of spiritual maturity? So it's not what you might think, Here somebody might say, oh, the sure sign of spiritual maturity is they have great faith. Trust the Lord for everything or they live a holy life. 
or they have all kinds of love. They're just filled with love. But James says the perfect or the mature man is the one who can control his tongue. Because he's saying here, if you can do that, you can control every aspect of your life. If you have that kind of control, you will be a person of holiness and you will have love because the main ways we can show a lack of love is through our tongue and you will have faith. It will all be there. But he's saying the key to it is, is the tongue. Let me say this. The evidence of a spirit controlled life is found in the tongue, not in speaking in tongues. That's not the evidence of a spirit controlled life. That's the doorway, though. I believe that's the doorway. But if we don't control the rest of it and we don't control our tongue, that all of our speaking in tongues is just a tinkling symbol. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 13. Speaking in tongues is the evidence of the baptism. But you can have that, and if it stops there, you haven't gotten anywhere. It doesn't mean a thing. Because, I mean, you've got to think about it. Most of the churches, the book of Revelation, they're all being rebuked and told they need to repent, and they're all spirit-filled churches. So just having a baptism doesn't guarantee a thing. It's the threshold, as they say. So here's the problem. Let's think about this. Do we give the weight, the weight to what we say, how we use our tongue? Do we give the weight to that that James is giving here? He's putting a lot of weight on it, isn't he? He really is. Or you think about the entire Bible does. I mean, you could read the book of Proverbs and your mouth probably would get glued shut just by reading it. But remember back in Isaiah, what happened when Isaiah, he says he gets before the Lord and he sees the Lord high and lifted up. Well, what was the one thing he's convicted about when that happens? What is it that puts him in the dust? His reaction, he says, woe is me. For I am undone. Why? Because he says, I am a man of un." clean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts so when you come into the presence of the Lord that's what he gets convicted about how he's used his mouth this is like the yearly checkup on the tongue every time you have it everybody's convicted because we don't really put as much emphasis on our speech we're not watching our speech like we should Now, I'll tell you, if you lived in John Wesley's day and you sat under John Wesley's ministry, you would be watching your tongue big time because that was a huge emphasis. They did not put up with any backbiting, criticism, slander amongst their people. Talking about somebody when they weren't around, you read his books on that. I mean, it's very convicting. That's the way they lived. Those early Methodists, they lived wholly in that way and watched their tongues. Very convicting. Very convicting. James goes on here, what we want to look at, the next 10 verses, verses 3 to 12, he makes three points that we're going to look at today. And the first point is that the tongue is small but powerful. That's verses 3 to 5. The second point we're going to look at is that the tongue is dangerous. That's verses 5 to 8. And the last point is going to be that the tongue is revealing, verses 9 to 12. First of all, we're going to look at that the tongue is small but powerful. And James gives two illustrations. He does a great job of using illustrations to make his point. The master illustrator. And he uses two illustrations to show that something tiny moves something that is great. Look in verse 3. The first illustration he uses there is of the horse. He said, behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Obviously, It speaks for itself. The horse is a big, strong animal, but a small bit put in its mouth. If a girl knew how to ride a horse, you could take the daintiest little girl, put her on that horse, and she could pull those reins, and she'd get that big animal, way bigger than her, way, way bigger than that little bit, to go and turn whichever way she wants it to go. That's the point of that, any direction she wills. Of course, that bit has to be put in the right place. You can't put the bit under its tail and expect that horse to go in. It's got to be put in its mouth. That's the key. But when that bit's in that horse's mouth, she's not just moving the mouth or the rider, are they? They're moving the entire animal. The entire animal is moving. And in verse 4, he gives the next illustration, Behold also the ships. He says, Which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet... Are they turned about with a very small helm or rudder 
whithersoever the governor listeth. This massive ship, and in comparison, this rudder is just a tiny little rudder. He's saying even when it's out on that sea and you've got these huge, fierce winds trying to direct that ship, he's saying there's some little skinny guy in the back. He pushes that rudder and that ship's going to go where he wants it to go, not where the ship wants it to go, not where the wind wants it to go. So that little rudder is controlling something way out of proportion to its size, isn't it? And that's what he says is the exact same thing for our tongue. That's what he says in verse 5. He says, even so, just the same way as what he's saying, even so the tongue, it's a little member, but it boasteth great things. It's a small part of our body, isn't it? Compared to your arms, your legs, your head. The tongue, like I said, it's three inches. It's the only organ that doesn't have any skeleton supporting it. I mean, it's just flapping around, got a lot of flexibility. But man, does it have a great impact on our lives, doesn't it? Power to make great changes in our lives is what he's saying here, and in the lives of others, it boasts great things. Now, he's not using boasting there in a bad way, necessarily. The point he's making is that though the tongue is small, the way we use it, the way we use our little tongue will have a tremendous effect on all of life. Its power is way out of proportion to its size. That's what he's saying here. The power of words, the power of the tongue to affect great things. There's a ton of illustrations you could give and examples, but you know, Winston Churchill, he knew the power of words of all people. I mean, he would sit in his bathtub all through the night working on these speeches he have every little phrase down to have the most impact it could have. He inspired through his words, through his tongue, we're saying it boasts of great things. He inspired an entire nation and changed the course of the world through the use of his tongue. He would say things like, let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and his commonwealth lasts for a thousand years, men will still say, this was their finest hour. My British people over there, they could have done a much better accent. I wasn't any accent at all, actually. <laughs> but that's what he said. Those words, that's what James is saying there. That little tongue of his, Winston Churchill, inspired an entire nation. And that is the same for us, is what he's saying here. That's a worldly example. But our tongues can have a tremendous impact on other people. The same is true for us. Proverbs 12, 18 says, The tongue of the wise is health. Proverbs 16, 24, Pleasant words are as an honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Pleasant words. Amen. We speak pleasant words to each other. Instead of harsh and cruel words, but it can have an impact. It's healthy saying your words are health. Proverbs 10, 21 says the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of wisdom. Proverbs 12, 25 says heaviness in the heart makes it stoop, but a good word makes it glad. The words we speak can have tremendous impact on our brothers and sisters. They're going through something. Proverbs 15, 4 says, A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. I think that we underestimate what edifying speech can do to other people. The impact we can have. You know, the last chapter in Proverbs speaks of the virtuous woman. Miss far above rubies. And it says this about her. In verse 26, Proverbs 31, 26, it says, She opens her mouth with wisdom. So we're talking about the tongue. And it says, And in her tongue is the law of kindness. And law of kindness means loving instruction. Here's a woman. I believe she knows the Lord. She's been sitting like Mary at the feet of Jesus. She knows the Lord. She knows the word. But she has the grace to speak in a way that fits her role. She's not domineering, you know, she's not abusive, she's not loud, she's not authoritative when she doesn't need to be, but it says it's the law of kindness is in her mouth. Her tongue has the law of kindness. And who do you think of when you think of that? That's like that. 
First thing I thought about was Abigail, back with David. You know, David is going to go destroy every male on her property because of Nabal and what he did. But in wisdom and in meekness, we're saying the tongue, how much it can change the course of events. In meekness and wisdom, when she hears what happened and she sees him right up, she doesn't get up in his face. She's not like, what are you doing? You know, and all that. What are you doing here? We haven't done anything wrong. She doesn't talk to him like that. No, this is the wisdom and meekness. Loving instruction. She falls on her face and bows down before him. Pleaded with gracious words. I won't read all of them now, but it'd be worth reading. And you know, when she's done, after she made her case and showed him respect and spoke in a nice way, but she got her point across, nonetheless, David had this. He praised her. He said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to me and blessed be thy advice and blessed be thou on and on and on he went because he said you kept me from sinning you changed the course and you saved your whole house i was going to wipe them all out all of that because of the law of kindness was on her tongue loving meek instruction and that's the way it is and look we can have on our tongues a tremendous impact for good on the lives of others just that phone call, just that text message, a word spoken here somewhere in church can change the entire course of a person's life. You don't know. Have you ever had somebody come up and you just sent them something, you sent them a text message or whatever, and they come back, man, you just don't know what that did for me today. You ever had that happen? Changed their whole day. Might have changed their entire life. It says this about our Lord Jesus Christ in Isaiah 54. It says, the Lord has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. That's a good verse, isn't it? Isaiah 54, the Lord has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. And how does that happen? He's saying that happened for him because he got up and sought the Lord in the morning. If we seek the Lord, we get in his word, we're praying. He'll give us a word for the weary. You may not even know it at the time. It could be he's giving you something that's impressed on your heart. He's opening up something to you. And that's going to be something you'll need to share with somebody later in the day. Or he'll put somebody in your heart because of that. And you get share that word with them. And that is how the power of our tongue and the power of the good works for good. That's what he's saying here. It boasts great things because it can do great things. It can change the course of a nation. It can change the course of a church. It can change the course of someone's life. This little three-inch member that we have, if it's used in the right way. And that's what he's saying. The power in our tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18, 21. We've heard that more than once here, haven't we? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. But he goes on to say that because of that great power, the second point we want to make here is the tongue, though, is also dangerous. Verses 5 to 8. So it can be a power for good, but it can also ruin lives. And it's the same principle he goes on to speak about as the bit and the rudder. Look what he says there at the end of verse 5. He says, Behold how great a matter, a little, a spark, a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. And so is the tongue among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it's set on fire by hell. The illustration again, man, we've been all around the world, haven't we? Ships and horses, and now we're looking at a forest fire. But he's saying, what does it take to start that? It happens all the time in our country. Somebody leaves their fire unattended, a little spark, bam, and next thing you know, you've got thousands and thousands of acres burning, and they can't hardly get it under control. And that's what he's saying, just that little fire in a whole forest. By that little tiny flame, a whole forest can be devastated. And he says the tongue is like that. It's just a little member, a little fire, but it can cause vast destruction. 
John Wesley said this, he says, for the tongue to cause great destruction, it doesn't need long speeches, just a word. He says, and then mischief is set afoot. He says, thus has peace been ruined. Thus has a reputation been blackened. Thus has a friendship been ruined. And thus has a life been blasted. He said, in small ways, our minds and lives poisoned by the tongue. He said, it doesn't have to be this big, long speech, some great big speech to ruin somebody. Just out of your little tongue, a little word, a sentence filled with anger, filled with envy, filled with jealousy, filled with malice towards another person. That's all it takes. And he's saying it can cause disastrous results. Once that arrow is let go, you can't get it back. You know, they have the old story. <laughs> you heard it in many different ways, but the person has slandered somebody and they go and they repent. And they're like, what should I do? And the guy's like, all right. He goes, I want to do something about it. He's like, take you a bag of feathers and go, you know, put it on every doorstep of everybody in the village. And he comes back. I did that. He goes, now go get them. He goes, I can't. They're going to be blown everywhere. He goes, that's the point. Once you do that, you can't get it back. And the damage is done. There's no bringing it back. So many times, though, we always wish we could, don't we? You say something, man, if I could just have that back. Probably happened to you this week. Might happen to you this morning. I don't know. But the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about gossip and its destructive nature. Proverbs 16, 28 says, A perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. Now, surely no one in here would be one of those people that somebody tells you something about somebody else, and you know that if you go tell that somebody else, you're going to make these two people in it. Nobody would do that in here. But it happens, and that's what it's talking about in Proverbs. That's wicked, isn't it? Knowing that you go say this, and you shouldn't, you're going to cause problems between two people. And that's what he says. A whisperer separates the best of friends. And Proverbs 26, 20 and 22 says, Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no tailbearer, strife ceases. So we're saying that fire of that tongue, it needs a little wood to keep it going, doesn't it? And he's saying, if you're not going to be the wood and keep that thing going, it'll just smolder on its own, won't it? Just let it die with you is what he's saying. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no talebearer, strife ceases. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles. And they go down into the inmost body. So everybody loves to hear gossip, don't they? But it's destructive, especially when you pass it on and when you hear it. That's just the way it is. Now listen, I found this. I thought this was good. My name is Gossip. I have no respect for justice. I maim without killing. I break hearts and ruin lives. I am cunning and malicious and gather strength with age. The more I am quoted, the more I am believed. I flourish at every level of society. My victims are helpless they cannot protect themselves against me because I have no face. To track me down is impossible. The harder you try, the more elusive I become. I'm nobody's friend. Once I tarnish a reputation, it is never the same. I topple governments and wreck marriages. I ruin careers and cause sleepless nights. Heartaches and indigestion, I spawn suspicion and generate grief, I make innocent people cry in their pillows. Even my name hisses. I am called gossip. I make headlines and headaches. And this person that wrote this says, so before you repeat a story, ask yourself, is it true? Ask yourself, is it fair? Ask yourself, is it necessary? And they said, if not, shut up. Now, my kids, Dad, you're not supposed to say that. Well, I just said it. So I just read what somebody wrote. I didn't say it. I would have said, be quiet. But I like shut up. That works good. And he goes on here, James says, when the tongue, when it sins, it defiles, it says, the whole body. In other words, it's staining that little member. 
it stains the entire body. So let me ask you, and everybody better shake their head, yes. Haven't you experienced where you tell a lie, slander, gossip, you criticize somebody, you get angry at somebody, and you have this yuck feeling all over? Amen? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Boy, you ought to. You know in your heart you're standing before the Lord defiled. And that's what James is saying that happens here. Look, it's right there in verse 6. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, and so is the tongue among our members. It defiles, it says, the whole body. Usually, before that happens, if you're a Christian, the Lord will give you a check before you get ready to say what you know you shouldn't say. Check in your spirit before you open your mouth. But how many times do we just kind of override that check and go on and say what we want to say because we just have to say it so bad? Charles Spurgeon, I like this. He said this. He said, blessed is the man who has nothing good to say and can't be persuaded to say it. You got to think about that. He said, blessed be the man. He didn't have anything good to say about anybody, so he's not going to say it. He can't be persuaded to say it. Blessed be the man that has nothing good to say and can't be persuaded to say it. We need to be like the psalmist in Psalm 141 who says this, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth and keep the door of my lips. That needs to be our prayer. And he ends at verse 6. He says, "Is is set on fire of hell. So James is telling us the source the source of the tongue's destructive fire. It's Satan himself. And what is the devil? He is the accuser and the slanderer of the brethren. And all he's doing, he's just looking for willing accomplices. Isn't he? And I think if we would just think whose will we're doing when we slander, backbite, all of that gossip, whose will are we performing then? It's the devil's. You know, if you really thought about it that way, it might just stop you dead in your tracks. And that's what James is saying. That fire in your mouth that you just have to get out, you have to speak, he's saying, that's being ignited from the devil. Our tongue is the wick. The flame comes from him. That's what he's saying. So the most dangerous thing he says about the tongue is in verse 8, though. And that is that it's a beast that cannot be tamed. Look what he says here, verse 7 and 8. It says, for every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and has been tamed of mankind. He says, but the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. He's saying, you know, you can go to the zoo or the circus and see all kind of animals that have been tamed. You can see elephants. They make this huge elephant to kneel down. Kind of humiliating for the element or whatever. They got tigers running through hoops, all at the crack of a whip or clapping their hands. They can get them to do, they can train them to do whatever. Pigeons will carry mail. They can train them to do that. You get your dog to get your newspaper. So we were created to have dominion over the animals. That's what we can do. We see it happen all the time. But he's saying there is one animal. There is one animal that no man can tame, and that is the tongue. He doesn't just say it's untamable. He's saying there is nothing in human nature, in a human being, that can tame the tongue. It's impossible for man. That's what he's saying. No man can tame a tongue, period. Because he says it's restless. What he says in verse 8, or unstable. So your tongue, you can't trust your tongue to just lie down and mind its own business. He's saying it's like a wild animal. It's like a wild, caged animal. It just can't wait to be loosed and do its damage. He's saying that's what our tongue is like, and no man, he said, is able to tame that. Because he says its bite is deadly. Look what it says at the end of verse 8. He says, the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly, a restless evil. And he says it's what, at the end of verse 8, is full of deadly poison. And that's taken from Psalm 143. They have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Adder's poison is under their lips. So he right here is not painting when he's saying the tongue is dangerous. He's warning us. That's, and we all know about that. We're not, not telling you anything you don't know. He's not painting a pretty picture, is he? Not at all. We looked at, first of all, the tongue has tremendous power. It can be a blessing. It can build up and encourage others. But he's saying that little tiny member, it can also be very dangerous. 
it can start a fire of devastation. Set on fire by Satan himself. Isn't that what it said? Isn't that what we read? Ready to wreak havoc, ready to poison anyone that will listen to it. The last point I want to get here is, is the tongue is also revealing. That's verses 9 to 12. And it reveals our inconsistencies. Look what it says in verses 9 and 10. It says, Therewith with the tongue bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after this similitude of God. He says, Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. He says, My brethren, these things ought not to be. So he's saying it just reveals our inconsistencies. One minute we're praising God, praising Him for His glory and His attributes, and then the next minute we're tearing down somebody else that's made in His image. He's saying, my brother, this ought not to be. That's not the way it should be. But notice he's saying it in love. He really is. He's saying, my brethren. He's trying to get their attention. So he's not trying to condemn them or discourage them. He's just trying to bring, if this is the case for you, he's just trying to bring conviction and repentance. Just say, my brother, this isn't the way it should be. So one time I heard about this missionary in South Korea. And his briefcase had become broken over there. So he wants to get it fixed. And he had to drive an hour to go to this place to get it repaired. And he gets to the shop. And he walks in there and this missionary in South, to South Korea says, can you fix my satchel? Can you fix my briefcase? Oh, yes. Yes, we can fix it. Can you have it ready next Tuesday? Oh, yes. Yes, sir. We can have it. We can have it ready. He goes, well, you know, it took me an hour to get here, and I really need it next Tuesday. He says, are you sure you can have it ready? Oh, it'll be ready on Tuesday. Yes, sir. We'll have it ready. So the next Tuesday, the guy gets on his bus and driving in South Korea. The roads are crazy. It's probably like Guatemala. The driving's crazy. Takes him a while to get there. So he finally gets there, walks in the shop, said he could tell by the looks on their faces that it wasn't ready. Oh, we're really sorry, sir. We just simply forgotten. Well, the guy was struggling with his Korean up until that point, and he said his Korean got really fluent, so to speak. He let him have it. <laughs> They're apologizing to him. They're trying to get him settled down, this missionary. So they take him in the back room, they set him down, and they give him some tea, some ginseng tea. I'm gonna calm this guy down. And they asked him back there, they didn't know who he was, they hadn't met him before, and they said, well, what are you doing here in Korea? And the man said, I'm a missionary for the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> I heard a brother relate, this is a true story, this isn't something, this just happened recently. And he said he felt that sting of conviction, and what we're talking about here, it revealed his inconsistency. He's preaching the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet he's blasting these people. Let me ask you, have you ever felt that way, you that are parents, with your children? Or maybe somebody you work with or somebody you recently talked to on the phone about a bill, maybe? Right? You know, you tell your children, Jesus is my Savior, and you need Him too. You know, you need Him to give you eternal life, joy, and peace. And all it takes is what? Just that one hasty word in anger, and you've blown it. I'm not saying forever, but it's like it didn't matter. It didn't matter at that point that you were very careful for the whole month leading up to that. But that one word, oh, man, that's the one you want to have back. That's that moment you'd like to have back, right? It's that one fly in the ointment. And so all you can do, you can't get the arrow back once it's released, can you? All you can do is what? God, forgive me. I was in the flesh. I shouldn't have done that. And then you know the next thing you need to do is go ask your children to forgive you. I should never talk like that. I'm a Christian. I just ask you to forgive me. And usually they're real nice about it. But that's what you got to do. And then you just got to trust that as you walk in what you should be, that they'll see that as time goes on. I mean, that's what it's got to be at. But that's what he's saying here, that inconsistency that comes out. And hey, if we do it like that missionary. Hey, let somebody have it you're having a business dealing with and then you're going to witness to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. They need him as a savior like you do. I'm saying that happens. The Indians and those old Westerns you used to watch on TV years back, you know, they always said, white man speak with forked tongue. And that's what James is talking about here. You're speaking with the forked tongue. You're saying two things. He says, my brother, and that ought not to be. 
What's he telling us here when he's saying that? That's his point. It's kind of an exhortation. He's saying, okay, we're all guilty. I mean, he said that at the beginning, didn't he? He's, he's not leaving himself out of this. Nobody can leave themselves out of this if they're honest. But he's saying there should be a difference with us. It's back to chapter 1, verse 19, when he says, Of his own will, God begat he us with the word of truth, that for the purpose that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We're supposed to be different, aren't we? And that's what he's saying. And that difference should show up in our speech. We should speak differently. We shouldn't speak the same way and react the same way with our tongue that the world does. Look down in verses 11 and 12 here in James 3. He says, does a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a fine vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. James is saying here that the source of a fountain is going to determine its taste. And the nature of a tree is going to determine its fruit, isn't he? So a tasty, wholesome fig, if you're going to eat one, it must have a fig tree as its source. And a grape, the only way you're going to get a grape, its source has to be the vine. So he's telling us here, bitter words come from what? A bitter heart. Critical words come from a critical spirit. Unloving speech comes from a heart where the love of Jesus, so to speak, is a stranger. What he's telling us here, we talked about this at the beginning, the problem is what? It's the heart, isn't it? The problem is the heart. It's really not the tongue, so to speak. The tongue's just an instrument. So listen, when the doctor, I'm just, I know we all have seen this on TV, let's say. When the doctor tells you to stick out your tongue, and he looks at your tongue, and he looks at your tongue, and he goes, aha, and he goes over and writes you a prescription, and you're like, doctor, is there something wrong with my tongue? Your tongue, all your tongue is doing is showing me that you have another problem on the inside. And that's what James is saying here. When our tongue doesn't say the things that it should have, what's that telling us? That we've got a heart problem. We've got something on the inside that we need to deal with. It's just revealing that. And that's where we need to guard every day our heart, don't we? What we let it get filled up with. Because out of the abundance, if you fill it up with resentment, you fill it up with criticism, you fill it up with evil thoughts of people, you fill it, whatever, it is going to come out. And that's why Proverbs 4.23 is a critical verse. Keep thy heart with all diligence. Because the world is constantly trying to get things in there that don't need to be there, or the devil, or whatever. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Or it could be said, for out of it spring the issues of life. So our heart is the fountainhead that is the spring comes out our tongue. And that's what we have to watch, the source of all of our life. The source of our tongue. So it must be guarded. What's the answer? And if he's saying it is impossible to tame the tongue, no man can tame the tongue, it's impossible. What's the answer then? The answer is, it's not impossible with God, is it? That's the answer. With God, all things are possible, including, as unbelievable as we may think it is, controlling the tongue. What do we need to do? I mean, a lot of things we need to do. Guard our heart. We also need to pray. I, I'll repeat this. Psalm 141.3, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth and keep the door of my lips. And I think he'll honor that prayer. And when he does, and you get ready to say something, and he pricks you, don't say that, then we need to obey that, don't we? We've got to obey it and not ignore it. Got to crucify our flesh and put a sock on it, as they say. And the other thing we need to do is come to the fountain for cleansing, don't we? So your heart's saying, man, I have not had a good week with my tongue, and I need to repent. Well. 1 John 1, 9, this is not a time to be discouraged and give up. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And he'll also do what? Cleanse us. Cleanse our heart. If we've got issues there, you're struggling with resentment, bitterness, anger, whatever it is. He says he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's what he says he does. So when our mouths are stopped and we stand before the Lord like Isaiah and confess I am undone, I'm a man of unclean lips. We got communion today. 
don't we? What did the Lord do? Isaiah was convicted. He's probably the holiest person he could find. And he's saying, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. Woe is me. And what did the Lord do? Just like, hey, that's too bad, buddy. What's the next thing you read? It says that seraphim, that angel, went and got a live coal with the tongs, had it in his hand, and came up and did what? Purged his lips, cleansed his heart. The altar where the sacrifice is made. That's what, you know, we've got to look to that today for communion. You've had a bad week with your mouth? Repent. Don't not take communion unless you're not going to repent. And then when you take communion, think that this blood is what cleanses me. He promises to cleanse me, not only forgive me, but to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Get us back on the right path. So that's what he'll do through the blood of Jesus, what he did for Isaiah. He'll do for us through the blood of Jesus and our confession. He'll purge our tongues and cleanse our hearts from all unrighteousness. But... Our tongues, though, it's not going to be against our will that he's going to do that because, remember, it says death and life are in the power of our tongues. And Jesus said this. He says, for by thy words you will be justified, or by thy words you'll be condemned. So we're responsible for what we say, aren't we? Can't say the devil made us do it. Well, he put that flame on me, and I, he lit me up. I couldn't help it. Well, that won't work. The blood of Jesus will quench that flame. What we need to remember, though, is, in closing, the last thing I want to say is, the goal of James in saying everything he said is not to knock us down, not to get us discouraged, not to make us quit, but the goal is what it has been with trials, with everything. What is the goal? He's wanting to bring us to maturity, and it's going to come through our tongue. That's what he says. So look back. We'll read it one more time in verse 2 and end with this. He says, For in many things we offend all, but he says, If any man offend not in word, that same person is a mature man and able also to bridle the whole body. And that's what he's after. And that needs to be our goal. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for the word that you've given us, Lord, and ask that you'll deal with all of us, Lord. Show us the importance of our tongue and what we say, and that it's a revealer of our hearts and what are in it, Lord, and so that we can not only deal with our tongue, but also, Lord, deal with the source. And I ask you that you'll bring conviction to us, Lord, and also repentance, and allow us to walk uh, that we speak wholesome words, healthy words, edifying words to each other, and use our tongue for good, for a power of good, and not to destroy. And I thank you that you'll do that for us here and that you'll keep this word before our minds and our hearts, not just today, not just for the next week, Lord, but that you'll emblaze it on our hearts, the importance of our tongue. And I thank you that you'll do that for us in Jesus' name. Amen.